0: All right, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians 13 today. And so uh, you can grab your phone, your tablet, your actual Bible uh, for the old schoolers who like paper. Uh, You can meet me there, 2 Corinthians 13, right at the end there. Uh, We are continuing on through our year of pursuing peace. Woo! We just jumped 47 slides our year of pursuing peace and seeking the peace that we find in the Lord, seeking how we can live at peace with one another and uh, just taking this time of, of this season we are in and have been coming out of to really dig into that. Uh, I don't usually say this, but I will say this week that if you didn't hear last week's message, please make sure that you do. Uh, It's available on our YouTube channel and on our audio podcast. Please make sure you take a listen to that. Uh, It just felt like a particularly important one for us as a church. And so just talking about where we've been, we don't want to dwell on where we've been. And at the same time, uh, as we're all kind of still processing these last couple of years, how do we chart a path forward now uh, as things are more and more getting back to normal? As church is more and more coming back together, as we're beginning to kind of try and make some sense of what's happened to us and where we've been and what was going on in our souls, uh, how are we moving forward? And so we just took uh, some good time to do that last week. And one of the reasons we named this a year of pursuing peace was coming out of the realization that we all didn't walk in peace all the time from the last couple of years. Uh, And so we want to get better at that. If we were perfectly at peace, uh, it probably would have been a lot easier. And so none of that needs to be a bad thing, that realization, but sometimes the Lord just draws attention to things in our lives, and we say, okay, well, I know something that I need to work on. And so talking about being at peace with God primarily and also at peace with one another, um, as that's happening, I'm peacing out, (laughs) Uh, heading out on sabbatical. I didn't plan that. That just came out of my mouth. Uh, So today will be my last Sunday for a little while, and... um, there's a pressure a little bit to pick the sermon that you're going to preach on your last Sunday for a while. there's a feeling of like oh it's got to be good right if it's lame then, then it's just a weird way to say see you later and so um, so there was a bit of a, a feeling of like I want to be so deep and rich and profound and I don't know if that's going to happen this morning okay um, but I am heading off officially tomorrow and we'll be off for three months and um, and if you have questions uh, by all means you can talk to the staff or the board we've really tried to keep you in the loop. I think we have done that well uh, in In terms of just communicating to you about it. So, uh, for the next few months, um, I will be spending just a lot of time with Jesus, basically. And it's not a vacation as much as it's a step back from work so that you can dig into the Lord and be present to the Lord. And so I shared a little bit last week. Uh, when we go on sabbatical, we apply for it with the board. There's a sabbatical policy at Meadowbrook. After seven years of full-time ministry, you qualify for a sabbatical. Uh, so sidebar, Pastor Xavier will also be taking a sabbatical at some point in the next year because this summer will be seven years for him as well. And so after seven years of full-time ministry, you can take some time off and you choose what you're going to focus on in that time and what the emphasis is going to be. And so I shared last week for me, uh, I'm just going to be focusing on being with the Lord and and dealing with some things as it relates to my emotional health and my mental health, uh, just recognizing that, after 20-plus years of ministry and after lots of schooling and lots of education, um, there's just some parts of my soul that need some attention, and so we're going to give some attention to that for the next few months, and I would just really appreciate your prayers because I don't know exactly what that means or, or how to go about that. Uh, I'll be getting some professional help in this time as well as just lots of quiet time with the Lord, and uh, there will be, uh, some of you have asked, there will be some family vacation time in there as well, uh, more in July when the kids are off of school, and Sarah will have some time off work, so we We'll have some of that. So for the next few months, the staff will be running a lot of the day-to-day stuff, and we've kind of divvied up my responsibilities there. Uh, Terry Bone will be coming in, uh, who you guys know and has been here a couple of times in the last few months to let you get to know him a little better. So he will be showing up in a couple of weeks. Next Sunday, uh, Pastor Xavier will be preaching, and we're excited about that, for him to share what God has put in his heart. Uh, the week after that, Terry will be here. Terry will be here for ten weeks, and then the last couple of weeks, uh, Susan will be taking one Sunday morning. Hogs for Hospice is in there, uh, so that will be one of our Sunday services, and then I'll be back at the beginning of August. And so uh, during that time, In terms of the day-to-day stuff, uh, the staff will be here for you, and and a couple of people have asked, like, oh, are you worried about, like, letting go and, and, you know, what might happen while you're gone? And I can honestly say I'm not worried even a little bit. Uh, That's not a concern for me whatsoever. I'm very happy to leave the church in the Lord's hands and in the staff hands, and I have full, full, full trust in the amazing staff that God has brought at Meadowbrook Church, that they will do phenomenal. So I'm really not worried about anything. And uh, we had some time together on Thursday um, just to kind of have our final planning meeting for sabbatical and we took some good time to pray for one another Um, and at Meadowbrook taking myself out of this for a second uh, God has blessed you with a ridiculously amazing staff here and and just wonderful (laughs) humble God-seeking people. No one is coming with an agenda. No one is coming to try and push something. Everyone is coming humbly. Everyone is coming uh, seeking the Lord first and foremost. Everyone's coming with a heart to serve. And so as we've been planning this for the last number of months, I really don't have any concerns at all. I think Meadowbrook's going to do phenomenal while I'm gone. And I'm very excited uh, for you to get to hear from Xavier, for you to get to spend some time with Terry, and for Terry to pour into the life of this church. And um, and just to get that refreshing for you guys as well. I think sometimes uh, in any friendship or any relationship anywhere, uh, sometimes just a bit of distance is actually kind of a good thing, and and you kind of, you get to miss each other a little bit, you get to look forward to reunion again, Uh, and as Terry comes in and as Xavier shares and as Susan shares, I think it's important that you hear from some different voices as well, and different people uh, get to speak into the life of the church, and I think that's really exciting for Meadowbrook. And so lots of good things will be happening here while I'm gone, uh, praying for good things to happen for me and my family as well as we take a break. And so uh, we will be, our original plan was we were gonna hit a different church every Sunday. And I was really excited to just see what God was doing in different places. I'm at this church on Sundays. I don't get to go and see what's going on in other places and what God is doing in other streams of the church and what other churches are coming up with as they approach ministry. And then ultimately we decided that's actually probably gonna be pretty hard on our kids to say, hey, you're coming into a totally different zone uh, every single Sunday. So what we decided was we're gonna camp at one church In town, Uh, I will at times visit other churches beyond that, and uh, we just wanted to give some stability for our kids. But um, if you hear rumors that I'm attending other churches, that's supposed to be happening during this time. Okay, so uh, so don't be alarmed by that at all. So as I was trying to figure out, okay, so what do you say on a Sunday like today? That's it's not goodbye, but it's kind of goodbye. It's it's I'm going to be gone for a while, and, and they're kind of parting words. They're not permanent parting words, but. Um, And then I just started thinking prayerfully about uh, how much of the New Testament is letters, right? That the apostles are writing to churches and that the apostles are writing to individuals. And how often the reason they're writing these letters is because they're, they're not with the church, right? They're far away, which is why they're writing a letter in the first place. And in some of these letters, the apostles would be essentially saying, hey, until I can come and be there with you again... Here's some stuff for you to think about, or here's some things for you to work on. Here's kind of my final instructions until I can be with you again. And so that's what I've done here today. Until we see each other again in a few months, here's just some final things for you to think about, some instructions if you want to look at it that way for you to be paying attention to. And so as Paul wraps up 2 Corinthians 13, as we get to our text today, um, that is what he's doing. Uh, He is saying to the church, I'm going to come see you, and I will be there at some point. Until I get there, here's some stuff for you to ponder. So let's take a look then at our text. 2 Corinthians 13, and starting in verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So short and sweet and uh, and felt Profound as to just where churches are at these days. And, and I don't want to dig into all that again. We did that last week of, of just naming some of the elephants in the room and talking about how do we recover from the last two years and how do we find some healing and how do we you know reunite after being apart in so many different ways for two years. And uh, and I don't want to dig into all of that again today, but I just read those few short things and I thought, wow, is that ever profound, I think, for, for us, for Christians right now as we are on that journey and as we are figuring these things Things out. So there are just gems in here for us. short, sweet and simple gems. And, um, and I really love First and Second Corinthians uh, because that Corinthian church was such a disaster. <laughs> And so it's so encouraging to me that that even early on, and even with people who'd seen Jesus face-to-face, and even in kind of the early pure form of the church, there was still stuff going on because it's still human beings getting together. And anytime human beings get together, there's bound to be drama, there's bound to be conflict, there's bound to be disagreement, and so... I don't know if any church in the New Testament is, is, quote, as bad as the Corinthian church, but the stuff the Corinthian church is going through is dramatic. And you read through 1 Corinthians, and Paul is just correcting a whole lot of stuff. And and the stuff he's correcting is like, yeah, you shouldn't be having a relationship with your stepmom, guys. Like, that's the kind of stuff he's having to speak to. And he's, he's annoyed that the church is starting to divide. Again, like the church is brand new and it's already starting to split into, well, I, I like Paul the best and I like Apollos the best and, and, well, I don't care about any of them. I only follow Jesus. And so there's, there's factions starting to form and there's disunity happening. And as the spiritual gifts are going on, uh, there's a, almost like a competition of like, who's got the best prophetic word and who's got the best ministry gift over here and who's the favorite? And they're, they're all just chaotic. It sounds like the worship service is just people interrupting each other and trying to show off their gifts. And, and so out of all of that comes the famous love passage that we've all heard a bunch of times at weddings. First Corinthians 13, that, no, guys, this is what love looks like. Forget your giftings. Forget who you follow. Forget all, like this is about loving one another. And love is patient and love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not rude. Love does not boast. Love does not draw attention to itself, right? Love puts the other person first. Love doesn't demand that you get recognition. Like, love is humble, and and all of these beautiful pictures of what love is. And so 1 Corinthians is Paul uh, talking to a very divided, very broken, very dysfunctional church. And I've never been at a church as bad as the Corinthian church, just to be clear. So I'm not saying Meadowbrook is that. We're way better than that. Um, Let's just brag and boast in ourselves for a little while, in spite of what I just said about love. But the point is, man, if even a church that broken can receive grace, if even a church that broken can receive patience, if even a church that broken... Uh, can be led by a leader and and can recover from that, then that's just so encouraging for whatever church struggles we have in whatever church we're in. Uh, I've never pastored a perfect church yet, which is good because I'm not a perfect pastor. And so uh, we can get a bunch of imperfect people together and we figure it out. And we prayerfully love one another and we stumble our way through it sometimes and sometimes we do it well and sometimes we don't do it so well. And when we don't do it so well, we learn the lessons from that time so that we do it better next time. And that's what growth is. That's what maturing is, is that even our our mistakes are not uh, something that defines us because our mistakes can be some of our greatest teachers as we move forward and as we progress. And so 1 Corinthians is kind of a bit of a blistering letter. Paul's got some strong words of correction for the church. Uh, Second Corinthians is a little more measured and, and it's a bit more hopeful as Paul is saying like, okay, so I'm recognizing that I was kind of harsh in the first letter. I needed to be because you guys were in rough shape, but it's good to hear that things are going better and there was a, a bit more encouragement there. Uh, and so the church is progressing and Paul is saying, all right, I'm going to come and see you again until I get there. Uh, here are some things for you to work on. And so we're just going to touch on these things each briefly today. Um, and my thing is all over the place today, Mike, so just watch with me, okay? Uh, so, starting off, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And the word rejoice, as it suggests, literally means be joyful. And so what does that mean when I don't feel joyful? Like, what does that mean in the the time of lament? What does it mean in the time of tears or the time of disappointment or the time of discouragement? What does this mean for me? What do, how am I joyful? What do I rejoice in? What do I worship him for? What do I give glory for when I don't necessarily feel that way? And the answer, the simple answer is, well, you rejoice in whatever you can. And it might not be the, the way you feel in general, But there is something to worship him for. There is something to be grateful for. There is something to be thankful for. There always is. And so, you know, in the overarching mood of how I feel on a given day, it might not be particularly joyful, but I can still find something to be thankful for. And and we're called back constantly to that place of thanksgiving. And it doesn't mean in the name of rejoicing, we we ignore the tears or we ignore the hardship or we ignore the difficulty, but it's no, even in the difficulty, I can be thankful for something. And so when we talk about worship, When we talk about praise, um, you know, there are seasons where it feels really easy to do that. There are seasons where praise is the easiest thing in the world. Uh, And then there are seasons where it's really challenging. And so praise and worship and rejoicing sometimes will cost us something. Hebrews talks about the sacrifice of praise that it costs us something. It costs us certainly some humility, uh, the acknowledgement that I'm not God. It costs me uh, the, uh, the need to kind of put aside myself and focus on him and acknowledge who he is uh, when it's so much easier and maybe more natural just to want to go into myself and stay in myself and focus on myself and what I'm going through. It causes me, as we read in Hebrews 11 earlier, to lift my eyes up. And, and it costs me saying, okay, this isn't ultimately about me in its fullness. I need to look to Jesus And again, not denying what I'm going through, but even in the midst of what I'm going through, I I need to lift my eyes to him. Worship does cost us something. But as you've heard me say a million times, he is always worthy of our worship. He is never not worthy of our worship. And his worthiness is not dependent on how I feel today. His worthiness is not dependent on what I'm going through. His worthiness is not dependent on if I like the new song we sang today or not. It's not dependent on whether I slept well last night or not or the million things I have to do that I'm distracted. He is always worthy of worship. He's always worthy. And if I'm not in that place, that's, that's, there's those seasons. There's those times, certainly, of, of heartache. And so it's not about, well, let's deny what we're feeling in order to pretend like we're joyful when we don't feel that way. But it's about, okay, well, if I'm in a, a time of lament, if I'm in a time of struggle, if the joy is not coming easily, it's not saying deny that stuff. It's saying, okay, well, what can I be thankful for then? What can I acknowledge him for because I might not like anything I'm going through, but there's still something. And and at the very least, uh, what we celebrated this morning, that Jesus loved me enough to die for me and rise from the dead for me to bring me back to him forever. If nothing else, we have that. If nothing else, we have breath in our body. If nothing else, we ate today, right? There is always something we can give thanks for. Uh, And I just have to believe that Jesus, who walked his own trail of brokenness and sorrow and pain, understands what it's like when we're in that place, that worship might not always just easily roll off the tongue all the time, but he is always worthy to be worshiped. And even Jesus in the garden finds his way to worship. Father, it's you, your will. That's worship. Let your will be done, not mine. That's worship. And so we always find those things. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice, always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that doesn't mean everything is joyful or that we are thankful for everything that we go through, but we find the things to give thanks for in all circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We find our way there. Uh, You've heard me preach on this passage before. We don't always know what God's will is. Sometimes there's a bit of a mystery to God's will. We look to scripture to find God's will, and, and we pray for him to reveal his will to us. But this is one of those verses that says, hey, one of the things that's definitely God's will is that we rejoice always, we pray continually, and we give thanks in all circumstances. When we do those things, we are in his will. That is what he wants from us as we fix our eyes on him and as we look to him. So, for, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. That's first. Strive for full Restoration. So again, this is a church that was incredibly divided. This was a church that had gone through theological debates and practical ministry debates. What's the right way to do church? This was a church that was fighting about the proper behavior. What does holiness look like for a Christian? What is the right way to interpret this passage or that passage? Who's the leader that we should be following? Are we a Paul church? Are we an Apollos church? And so they've gone through all of these struggles and all of these problems. And Paul says, and it's just four simple words, strive for full restoration. Man, that's a lot in four words. Sounds simple. Strive for full restoration, right? You've, you've uh, Corinthian church, you've been a church that's been divided. You've been a church that's attacked each other. You've been a church that's been broken. So strive for full restoration. And man, that's gonna cost us something, right? Worship will cost us a little something. Striving for full restoration will cost us something. And this picture that scripture gave us uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, of the body. Of Christ, and that that every one of us is like a body part in the body of Christ. And no body part can stand on its own. No body part can thrive on its own. They need all the other body parts. And Paul would also say uh, when one body part is is honored, the rest of the body parts should rejoice in that. One of the body parts is hurting, the rest of the body parts should rally to that. And we don't always do those things super well. Uh, because we're, we're human, and, and yet this picture of the unity, Paul says that all the body parts should be concerned about all the other body parts. That all the Christians should be concerned about all the other Christians. That no body part on my body is actually uh, a standalone thing or, or can do anything on its own. It's all connected, and, and they all need one another. And he's like, that's this beautiful picture of what the church looks like, and not just our local church, but the body of Christ, the broad body of Christ, churches everywhere. And so Paul says, strive for full restoration where you've been divided, where you've been arguing about this and that. Be restored to one another. Strive for that. Uh, work on that, work towards that. And so we've talked already, and I won't go into it again the last uh, last week and then a few weeks before, about what forgiveness looks like and reconciliation and, and reaching out to those who we haven't seen in a while and making an effort. And and again, just the reality that in many different ways, for lots of different reasons, we, we have not all been able to be together uh, as a church for lots of reasons. And, and uh, sometimes they were government imposed and sometimes they were personal convictions and we're not judging any of it, but we're just happy we can be back together. Also understanding, oh, it's actually going to take a bit of work for us to just remind ourselves what it's like to be back together again. And today we have a meal after the service. I really hope you'll stay. Uh, This is a great step for us just to practice that a little bit. Uh, And so it's very easy, and and I think most churches do this, where we have meals and you kind of hang out with your friends and stay connected to your friends. And I'm going to challenge you today to stretch outside that a little bit. Uh, Find somebody you don't know, right? Because in our view of Jesus, the table is open for everybody. So open your table today to somebody newer, uh, maybe a name you don't recognize on the name tag, um, and and let's begin to do that work of, okay, well, we haven't all been together for a while, and so uh, let's get to meet some of the people who are newer to the church, and let's get to uh, Uh, Connect with some people that we maybe have not known as well. Or maybe people who have been in church with us for years and we've just never had that time to connect. Let's do things like that as we strive for full restoration. As the body parts work together. It does, it costs us something. And it will cost us something as we move forward forward. Uh, It's going to mean that we lay aside our need to be right. We're going to lay aside our need to be uh, vindicated for for wherever we landed during the last couple of years. We're going to lay that aside in the name of healing and in the name of moving forward, in the name of love, because that's what restoration looks like. So be fully restored. Encourage one another. And that shows up a lot in the New Testament. It's one of the most important things we do for one another. And, and some of us are natural encouragers, some of us are not so much, but we are all called to build one another up. We are all called to speak life to one another, to give hope to one another. Every one of us, and some of us maybe need it more than others, but every one of us needs to be encouraged at times, right? We need to hear, hey, keep going. We need to hear, you're doing a good job, keep at it. We need to hear, everything's gonna be okay. We need to hear, you're appreciated. And, and everybody in different levels probably needs that, at least from time to time. And we're called to do this for one another, that we are to be people that give hope to one another. That one of the greatest ways that you receive the hope of Jesus Christ is through your brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the greatest ways that you participate in his hope is by giving that away by coming alongside other people and saying, keep at it. You're doing great. You're appreciated. Everything's going to be all right. God's got this. I'm praying for you. All the different ways that we can encourage one another. And so we're called to do that. And, and that is one of the things I think that is meant to mark us as different because the world uh, tends to tear down as their default a little bit more, right? I... Like I get embarrassed when I watch Parliament and when I see how they deal with problems. And I know some of it's a show, like there's a bit of a a dramatic side of it, but uh, I just, I watch them screaming at each other and insulting each other and like, no one's ever going like, oh, well you made a really good point but I respectfully disagree and here's why. It's always like, oh, my opponent wants to tear this country apart, and here's how I'm going to save it. Like, it's just so dramatic and intense. And again, I know there's a, a showbiz kind of thing to it, uh, where they're putting on a show for their constituents. And, and important for us to know, like, in any sort of renovation, uh, there often is a tearing down that needs to happen. Like, off, that often does need to happen. Uh, And so if the whole world were, if we just all encouraged all the time and that's all we did, uh, we'd be very probably happy people. But then problems would probably never get solved because we'd be so busy encouraging, we wouldn't actually be pointing out the problems. And so there is a place for constructive criticism for sure, where we acknowledge a problem, we see a problem, we call it a problem, because otherwise that problem's never going to get fixed. And so there is a place to point out the things that we think are wrong. The problem becomes when that's all we do is point out what's wrong. And again, that's how our government works. That's how the media works. Like so much of the major influences in this world are just built to tear down. They're just built to to point out a problem and rip down a problem. And again, sometimes things need to be torn down, but then something else needs to be built up in its place. And so if I, as a husband, if my wife were ever to share with you, all Chris does is tell me what I'm doing wrong, you would say, Chris is a really lousy husband. If my kids were ever to tell you we only hear from dad when he's criticizing us and telling us what we're doing wrong, that's the only time we hear from him. You'd say, like, well, Chris probably isn't a great father because love calls us further than that, right? And I do sometimes tell my kids what they're doing wrong in the name of correction, but they also get a lot of I love yous and you're the best and you're great, right? They get that side as well. So it's no one's job to just point out problems. It's no one's job to just tear down Uh, If you are pointing out a problem, you are also signing up to help rebuild what you're pointing out. You are called to encourage as well. We are all called to do that for one another. And even the way in which we point out problems, the way in which we disagree, has to be holy. It has to be different than the way everybody else does it because we are called to be a holy people. And so if our great admirers, you know, the ones that we're looking to as our examples are the secular politicians, we got a problem. That shouldn't be who we're looking up to for how we deal with our problems. And and not that we can't learn from them maybe some things or, or be inspired by them perhaps, but we are called to be holy, different, sacred, set apart from everything else in this world. And so the way we fight needs to be holy. We're gonna disagree sometimes, it needs to be holy. If we're gonna debate something, that needs to be holy. If we're gonna point out a problem, that needs to be holy. It should look different uh, because we have the love of God in us that is guiding us as we do all of these things. And so encourage one another, let that be something that the church of Jesus Christ is known for, that we are the most hope-filled people on the planet because we have the hope of Jesus Christ that we are the most encouraging people on the planet because God has called us to speak hope and speak life into one another constantly let that be something that marks us as different and I'll call you to do that as I'm gone uh, for the staff for when Terry comes I know you will uh, but please welcome him warmly and and speak hope and encouragement and life to him and his wife for the rest of the staff who are covering things while I'm gone come around them rally around them speak hope and encouragement to them as well as they step into this. So encourage one another, be of one mind. Be of one mind, Uh, speaking to the unity. Now, being of one mind doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. Um, It means that even if we don't agree, we are still choosing to be united because the things that we are choosing to unite on are so much more important than anything else that we might disagree on. So Sarah and I are one as a married couple. The Bible says that we are one. We are of one heart. We are of one soul. We are of one flesh. We are one. Do we agree on everything? Not so much. Does that mean we're any less united in our marriage? No, not at all. Because even in the disagreement, the commitment is we're together for life, and so we're going to work this out, and we can agree to disagree on some things. And the big things in life, the the way we're orienting our life, the, the broad ways that we're raising our kids, what we're spending our money on, all those things we're united on. Like on the most important things of of just how we're orienting towards Scripture and towards following after Jesus and and how we want our kids to be raised and all of those great big things, we're one there, we're united. There are other things we disagree on. And sometimes even in like how we're raising the kids, we might disagree on this or that or spending money on this or that. But it doesn't change the overarching oneness, the overarching unity that we walk in. It doesn't undo that. Because part of the, the marriage commitment is, hey, we're, we're locked in. We're here for life. And so even in the disagreement, we're gonna stick it out. And even in the disagreement, we're not gonna let that define us or, or be uh, the main thing that we emphasize because the things that we agree on are so much greater. So we are of one mind, even if we're not of one mind on every tiny little thing, we are united. And the picture of what we get from scripture is it's it's kind of a a, a you know husband and wife relationship between God and his church or God and Israel in the Old Testament, that there's a, a marriage-type relationship, and we are seeking more and more to be united with him and communing with him. And as we read about in communion this morning, Jesus' final prayer was that just as the Father and Son are in unity with one another, that the believers would be in unity with God. God, and the believers would also be in unity with one another as well. So it's not just about me and God, right? There's been some pushback in the, the previous years. When I was growing up in church, the question that you would always ask an unbeliever was, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Like that was the phrasing. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And it just meant, do you have you repented? Have you called upon him? Have you received his forgiveness? Is he Lord of your life? And there's an element of that that's good, Uh, The concern in these days has been, oh, did we create kind of a whole church culture where it's all just about the individual and Jesus, and then we missed something about this community? Because everyone was just having their personal devotional time and their personal walk with Jesus, and we maybe missed out on some of the community of Christ and, and what we should be walking in there. Be of one mind. The call to unity shows up just a couple of times in the New Testament. And again, that will cost us something. It will cost us something. It will cost us saying, I want my way, and I only want my way, and I won't give up my way. Because anytime we're in any kind of relationship, we have to give up something in order to be in that relationship. And so it will cost us something, but the beauty of it, the beauty of when church can be a place where it's like, you know what? We can disagree, And I don't love you any less, and I'm not looking at you any differently, and we all love Jesus, and that's the most important thing. So this can be a place where we disagree about certain things, but that all gets swallowed up in Christ. It all just gets completely removed. All of that thing that would tear us apart, all the things that the world has torn apart over, we will be different than that. We'll be holy. And so I used the example uh, last summer of uh, at the table that Jesus sat at with his disciples. Uh, On the one side, there's Matthew, the tax collector. On the other side, there's Simon, the zealot. And so Matthew, the tax collector, is a Jewish man who has partnered with the Romans, like actually uh, has betrayed his own people, In order to work for the oppressors and take money from his brothers and sisters to give to the oppressors who are killing the Jewish people. And Matthew himself is getting rich on that. And so Matthew is like an unhealthy, extreme right wing type personality. And on the other side is Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot is an extreme left-wing, kind of Marxist, violent guerrilla. The Zealots wanted to kill all the Romans, and they wanted to kill everybody who partnered with the Romans. And so sitting at this same table is a guy who loves the Romans and a guy who hates the Romans. And people like Simon want to murder people like Matthew, and people like Matthew want people like Simon arrested, thrown in jail, and executed. So like politically could not be further apart on a very pressing issue that was facing the world in that time of of the Jewish people under Roman oppression. What do we do under this oppression? Matthew's view is, well, it's here and we're going to make the best of it and we're going to prosper even in it. And Simon's view is we need to take a stand and we need to fight back and we need to push these pagans out of our holy land. So couldn't be more opposite And yet, when they're called to follow Jesus, what we hear is uh, Jesus has dinner at Matthew the tax collector's house, and then later he calls Simon the zealot, and then we never hear about it again. Their politics don't come up ever again. And I don't imagine that they literally instantly turned off everything that they believed or the convictions that they had or the stands that they were taking. It's just, I think when Jesus is in the room, that stuff becomes less important, when Jesus is there, that stuff just becomes less important. And so Matthew's identity is no longer Matthew the tax collector. It's Matthew the Christ follower. And Simon the zealot is no longer Simon the zealot. He's Simon the Christ follower. That's the most important thing. And we don't have any clues as to what the dinner table conversation was like uh, over that. And whether did Jesus ever tell them, hey, guys, cool it on that stuff. Or did they debate fiercely or, or whatever? We don't know. We have no idea. We just know it stops becoming a topic of conversation for the rest of the Gospels. Their identity is swallowed up in Christ. That is the most important thing. And so it is so much easier uh, just to, to pull away from people who disagree with us and surround ourselves with the ones who agree with us, but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is we all come to the table because we have had our identity just swallowed up in who he is. So be of one mind, live in peace. Live in peace with God, live in peace with one another, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, We just recognize, oh, wow, we need to grow in this. I need to grow in this. And and the last two years was kind of a a bit of an exposure uh, of how hard it it can be to walk in peace and to, to rest in God's peace and to give that peace away to others. And so this is a growth area for us. We recognize as peacemakers who are called to be peacemakers by Jesus, it's not just that we walk in peace. It's not just that we're seeking peace. It's not just that peace is the end goal. It's that peace is also the means. Peace is also the way in which we do things. So if we're going to disagree, we're going to disagree peacefully. It's not just we're going to fight viciously in order to get to peace. Peace is the means. If we're going to stand up for something, we're going to do it peacefully. If we're going to uh, criticize something, we're going to do it peacefully. Peace is going to be the vehicle that we use, not just the end that we are working towards. So live in peace. As that happens, the God of love and peace will be with you. So there's a built-in blessing here. As we do these things, as we seek restoration, as we live in peace, as we work to be of one mind, and as we take these steps to love one another well, as those things happen, the God of love and peace will be with you. And goodness, isn't that really the most important thing? It's one of the things I loved about that song we just sang. Just, God, I need you. Man, that was so simple. God, I need you. I need you. We need him so desperately. Uh, Our human efforts will always fall short. Our human strength will always run out. We need this. We need God to come and be with us. We need him to draw near to us. We need him to strengthen and sustain us. There is a blessing when we do these things. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 12. Please don't walk around and start doing this just on your own. Uh, that was a cultural thing at the time, and, and you'll still see in Europe, they'll do the, you know, the two kisses on the cheek. We don't do that so much here. It's more likely a handshake, maybe a hug if you know the person. But the point was uh, just that connection piece, right? That was a hard thing. I was surprised. I'm not like a touchy-feely person at all. It was weird to not shake hands for a long time. It was weird, it was weird to see someone and not have a contact point, right? And and not to be able to hug uh, somebody. And and I know we kind of did some of that stuff anyway, but um, but it just reminded us, I think, and it maybe taught us that you know what, that connection point is pers- is is personal. And important, so greet one another with a holy kiss of just like, hey, make that contact, that that contact. So again, don't go around kissing people. Uh, that's a, a cultural difference that might get you arrested here, but but find those contact points, right? Greet one another with a handshake. Greet one another with a fist bump. Greet one another with a hug if you know the person and if that's comfortable. There's a, a friendly intimacy there that's important, and then it wraps up. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Son, the Father, and the Spirit, the whole Trinity represented here. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the grace of the Son, the love of the Father, the fellowship, the presence of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing. May you have the grace that you need. May the love of the Father be with you. May the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you. Uh, Not just as a, a theological theory that there is a Holy Spirit, may the experience of the Holy Spirit be yours. May you know his fellowship. May you know his presence. Just as we're gonna fellowship in the gym in a few minutes, just as you connect and enjoy that relationship with people, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so as we just recap all of it, worship team, you can come on up. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As we do these things, there is blessing involved for us. As you do these things and work on these things in my absence, the blessing of God will be with you as you do it. I'm going to invite the board uh, to come on up, and we're going to just take some time to pray this morning as uh, a sabbatical is happening. So come and join me, board. And uh, Greg Weens is our new board chair, has stepped into the role uh, this last month. And so we're just going to take some time to pray.
1: Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for Pastor Chris and his family. And God, we just thank you for eight years of faithful service to you here at Meadowbrook. We are so grateful. With joyful hearts, God, we commit this family into your care. And we thank you so much for the rest that is coming. And God, we just ask that you would guide them in peaceful ways Guide them into rest. Invite them, Lord Jesus, as you do so generously to your table and minister to them there in fellowship and in unity with you, God. We pray that their house, their home, would be filled with so much joy and laughter. We pray a blessing on their children, God. And we just pray, Lord, now that you would cause your face to just shine upon them and bless them and be gracious to them father as they seek your rest and your peace we just pray that you would meet them there and we thank you so much for this in jesus name
2: and lord we continue in prayer before you and uh, again we praise and thank you for meadowbrook this year church you have blessed us with so much lord and we have so much to be thankful for we praise and thank you for our staff and uh, what they have mean to us We praise and thank you for Chris and Sarah and their commitment to you and commitment to us. And Lord, as we bless them, uh, as they head out on their sabbatical, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them, that you would be near to them. And as it says in your word, and we have heard this morning, we pray, Lord, that your grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with Chris and Sarah during this time. We praise and thank you for all of this, Lord, and we pray this in Thy precious name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship together?